So we're going to continue talking about God's kingdom. And at the moment we're looking at temptation. And this is part of the sort of kingdom warfare aspect of the kingdom. And we're looking at Matthew chapter 4. If you want to turn to that, we're going to read it in a moment or so. Now last time we looked at how temptation works. Sort of asked the question, why does it keep catching me out? What are the roots of it? And uh, we spent some time on that and we saw that temptation works because it depresses the buttons of our basic human needs and then it distorts them. And uh, not one for advertising and promoting my own talks, but I, I think if you, if you missed it, it would be a good thing to listen to because this talk today is very much based on that foundation. So if you've not heard it, you can catch up with it on the web. But let's just read Matthew chapter 4, and we're going to read verses 1 to 11 about the temptation of Jesus, and then we're going to get into uh, our message for today. So number one, verse 1 starts like this. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you're the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. And he said, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down, for it's written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, it's also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All these I will give you, he said, if you'll bow down and worship me. But Jesus said to him, get away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So the devil left him and the angels came and ministered to him. And, you know, overcoming temptation... It's part of every Christian's life, isn't it? I mean, it starts from the day that we're born again. Because what happens when we're born again is we suddenly discover that we've got these new desires within ourselves. We want to live differently. We don't want to sin anymore. Actually, we want to please God even more fundamentally. We want to be like Jesus. And so, as a young man growing up, I desperately wanted to learn how to overcome temptation. I seem to face these temptations all the time, and I can't say I always succeeded. And I know this is an area of frustration for many. How can I change? How can I do better? I asked for help. I read lots of different books. But the main message seemed to be I needed to try harder. I needed to exercise more self-control. I needed to read the Bible more. Thing is, I was already doing all of that. I was even fasting, and I still wasn't getting the breakthroughs that I needed. I don't know how many of you have found that this approach doesn't work, the try-harder approach. And so most of the time, I just felt condemned and worthless. Perhaps you can identify with this. So today, I don't want to give you another set of rules to follow But I want to give you some strategies to help you in overcoming temptation. See, Jesus has already given us all that we need 
to overcome. The way that he lived, the fact that he died, and the fact that he rose again and poured out his Holy Spirit. He's given us everything that we need to overcome. And win or lose, there's always forgiveness. And there's no condemnation for any of us in Christ. So let's just start there, shall we? Because I just want to speak over you, no condemnation. There is no condemnation for any in Christ. So the strategies, I want to give you a very simple, and I'm calling them the four R's of overcoming temptation. Here they are. Receive the Holy Spirit. Renounce the lies. Rest. Don't resist. Repent straight away. And they're very simple, very simple, but they do need some explanation. Now, I've got to say, I've been struggling a bit this week. I've got far too much material. I've cut and I've cut and I've cut and I've still got far too much material. So I don't know how far we're going to get today because I don't want to um, go on the whole day, which I could easily do, I think. Um, So I'm going to try not to do that. And I'm going to review about halfway through and see what time it is and see how far we've got to go. And if necessary, we can come back to it next week. But my heart is full. (laughs) I've got so much that I want to share with you, share with you today. All right, so there's the warning. <laughs> okay, so here we go. A first strategic importance in winning this battle is receiving the Holy Spirit. Receive the Holy Spirit. And this is all about the first thing that you see from Jesus' example in the passage. You see that he has just been baptised in the Jordan and it says that the heavens were opened and the Holy Spirit was poured out on him and it was this that preceded the temptations. Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit and then he was led into temptation. And that's the first thing for us to know too. We need to be full of the Holy Spirit. And I don't just mean the first time that we encounter the Holy Spirit, or the first time we receive the baptism in the Spirit. It needs to happen all the time, every moment of every day. We need to be full and we need to be being filled with the Holy Spirit. This needs to be an ongoing flow, an ongoing relationship. I mean, if Jesus needed it, how much more do we? We need the Holy Spirit in our lives. You see, we're assailed by temptation all the time. You know, every billboard is a potential temptation. Every unplanned conversation, every circumstance, every flash of the screen surfing the internet is a potential temptation to us. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit all of the time, and I want to explain why. But the main reason is if we're not full of the Holy Spirit, what happens is that we try to win the battle against temptation in our own strength. And you know when you're doing this, when you find yourself saying things like this to yourself, I should be doing better. I should be stronger than this. I should be more holy. Haven't I dealt with this already? We're entering into that area of trying to do it in our own strength. We need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. And you've got to come to the place when you realize, I haven't got the power that I need to overcome temptation. I cannot do this in my own strength. And sometimes the best place we can come to is where we say, I give up. I just can't do this anymore. Great. In your weakness... 
there is strength and the grace of God is released in our lives. But Jesus, you see, wasn't just full of the Holy Spirit, he was also led by the Holy Spirit. It says that he was led into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now, despite the uncomfortable thought of what that could mean, that the Holy Spirit actually leads us into times of testing and temptation, I want you to notice that Jesus was being led by the Spirit before that in, in, into that encounter. He was led by the Holy Spirit, which simply means that Jesus was following the initiative of the Holy Spirit. He was choosing what the Holy Spirit was choosing. He lived by him. And it says elsewhere, it says that Jesus only did what he saw the Father doing. Well, how do you think he saw that? By the Holy Spirit. Jesus lived by the Holy Spirit. And by the Spirit, living by the Spirit is what Paul tells us we need to do if we're going to live by, if we're going to uh, overcome the battle of the flesh. So in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 to 17, it says this, Paul writes this, he says, I say to you, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. He says, because the flesh, it it desires what's contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit desires what is contrary to the flesh and they're in conflict with one another so that you don't do what you want to do. There's a conflict that's going on in you. You see, if you're living by the Spirit, he won't lead you into sin, but he'll lead you into what pleases the Father. But there's this conflict that goes on inside of us, and it's a battle that you feel. I mean, who's felt that battle? (laughs) You feel this battle going on inside you. There's a conflict against what you know you want to do, but then what your flesh is desiring that you do. Because the flesh wants what is contrary to the Spirit. And temptation, by its very nature, always appeals to the flesh. We were seeing this last time, weren't we? We were saying that it goes right to the core of our basic human needs and desires, and then it distorts them. And actually, we can see, looking at this passage, that Jesus is... An example of this, this was a very literal thing. Matthew 4.2 says that he was hungry. It was felt in his flesh. Well, he was hungry, of course, because he'd been fasting for 40 days. This, but this hunger, it was felt in his flesh. His body cried out for food. And if you've ever been really hungry, if you've ever done a fast or something like that, you'll know what a powerful force this can be. And you know what temptation is. It's a powerful force. Well, Jesus experienced it in his flesh like this hunger. And the distortion of that hunger was that Satan wanted Jesus to satisfy this hunger to please his flesh. And if we're going to live by the Spirit, we're going to need to deal with the flesh because temptation starts in the flesh. It appeals to the flesh. So how do we deal with the flesh? Why do we need to deal with it? There's a really vivid description that I like in James chapter 1 verse 14. James writes this, he says, Each one is tempted when, by his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. Each one is tempted by his, when, by his own evil desire, he's dragged away and enticed. 
And if you read the commentaries on this passage, you'll find that actually what James is using there is a kind of fishing illustration. And I think it's quite powerful. And, 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 when, and this is how it works. It's, it's, um, <clears throat> it's a kind of fishing illustration where desire, the desire that comes from the flesh, is the baited hook which entices its prey and then once hooked, drags the victim away to commit sin. So the hook, the desire in the mouth, and then the fishing rod drags you away to commit sin. And you may have felt this. You may have experienced that yourself. You've taken a bite of something because it looked tasty, and you find that before you know it, it's dragging you off to somewhere that you don't want to go. You're a victim to desires. You're powerless to resist. There's a kind of magnetism, perhaps, even in a particular area of sin. Or a relentless reeling in that occurs until finally you're captured. Oh no, I've done it again. I've fallen again. Now this is a huge subject. (laughs) But what is it that we're dealing with here? I want to tell you quite briefly... What is the flesh? Well, it's not, as some versions of the NIV unhelpfully translate this word in Galatians, where it talks about the flesh, it's not our sinful nature. Actually, that's an inaccurate translation of the word. Because as Christians, we've been born again, and it's a reality. It means that the old has gone and the new has come, and with that, a new nature. I mean, the very fact that you're feeling that conflict and there's that battle against sin is because there's a new nature. I don't want to do that anymore. That was part of the old me. It's gone, it's done. I want to live in the new me, the new nature. The flesh that Paul is talking about is that fallen part of us that still seeks to live independently of God. So, for Jesus, the temptation was turn that bread into stone. Jesus didn't, didn't give in to that temptation, but that was the temptation, that fallen part of us that looks to do it independently of God. Jesus didn't go down that route, but that's where it was. But it's no longer our nature. It's no longer our disposition. This has changed. It's not just a theoretical fact. It's changed. There's something new. There are new desires growing in the heart of the Christian. But our flesh still has certain desires that can be corrupted. So let me give you an example. Think about Eve. In the Garden of Eden, there was no sin. There was nothing there of a fallen nature in the Garden. But Eve was tempted to eat the fruit before the fall took place. She was tempted. And the temptation to sin, therefore, didn't come to a sinful nature, but it appealed directly to the flesh. So it says that Eve saw the fruit and saw that it was good to the eyes. Her flesh, it looked nice. So she reached out, she took it and she ate of it, even though God had told her not to. It's not because of a fallen nature. It's because it looked good to the eyes 
And she was drawn away to living independently of God. Do you understand? But Jesus didn't sin because he lived by the Spirit. And if we live by the Spirit, he will not allow the desires of the flesh to become evil. He will not allow us to satisfy those desires or lusts, if you like, illegitimately or independently of God or his perfect design for us. If we follow the leading of the Spirit, something else happens. If we follow the leading of the Spirit, the Bible tells us that those desires are put to death. Have you ever thought, I want to kill that desire in me? I hate that way that I am sometimes. I want to kill it. Well, good news. That's what the Holy Spirit offers. If you follow the leading of the Spirit, he puts it to death in us. Paul tells us this in Romans 8, chapter 12. And he talks, Romans 8, verse 12. And he tells us that we're living now by the Spirit under a very different obligation. He says in verse 12, Brothers and sisters, we've got an obligation, but it's not to the flesh to live according to it. Because if you live according to the flesh, you're going to die. But if by the Spirit, then you put to death the misdeeds of the body, and you'll live. We've got a new obligation. We don't have to do that other thing anymore. If you follow the leading of the Spirit, he will put that to death in us. And you see, as we grow in that understanding and in that place of dependence on the Spirit, these evil desires are conflicted with what the Spirit desires. Oh, why does my flesh seem so much stronger than the Spirit sometimes? (laughs) But he isn't. But he isn't. If you're a Spirit-filled Christian, you are already experiencing this, this tension. The conflict is already within you. It's a kind of wrestling of desires. Well, that's what it feels like. But as we choose to follow the Holy Spirit's leading, increasingly we discover his power to overcome the flesh. Part of the challenge for us is that that knowledge is somehow separate from our day-to-day life. And when we, what we need is in the moment of temptation, that's when we need the Holy Spirit to come in and put to death the evil desires that have been growing in our hearts. We need to bring it down to the moment, the moment of temptation. You're following me. I know I'm giving you a lot here. Very practically, it works like this. In that context of temptation, you feel the conflict. Okay? You get that. I feel that conflict. There's a kind of wrestling. There's a moment of indecision. Now pray. Now, in that moment, be honest with God. And I pray things like, Lord, you know what my flesh wants right now. Be honest about it. Confess it to God. I want to do that. Don't make up that I'm too holy to want to do that. Be honest with God and say, Lord, that's what I want, but I also want to follow the way of the Spirit because that leads to life. So, Lord, would you fill me up right now in this moment, in this moment of indecision, will you tip the balance, take control of my desires and put those other ones to death? 
See, the problem is we very often, it's separate from the temptation. It's out there theoretically, but we need to bring that truth right down into the moment of temptation and allow the Holy Spirit to take the wheel. You know, I love it. In the authorised version, it says that the Holy Spirit drove Jesus into the desert. I love that picture. Why not allow the Holy Spirit to drive us into his purposes? Allow ourselves to be uh, led powerfully by him into what he desires and into what he wants for us. Amen. So let's go to the second R. Because, you see, the battle isn't just with the flesh, although it's important to see that this is where it starts. Okay, so we need to take some personal responsibility for this. You can't just blame the devil for your temptations and your sin. You can't blame anybody else. You need to take that personal responsibility. That's what repentance is all about. It's coming to the place where you own up and say, God, I've sinned. It's my fault. It's not somebody else's. I'm taking responsibility. So we have to take that responsibility. But we do have an enemy. But we do have an enemy. And his, he undermines us, and he lies to us all the time. So I want us to look just at his role in this now. And the second heading, renounce the lies renounce the lies. So be full of the Spirit and renounce the lies. See, in warfare, we're told that to win a battle, one of the key strategies is to know yourself, know what you've got in your armory, but also to know your enemy. So let's start with this. And from the passage in Matthew, there are several things we can learn about Satan, and this isn't an exhaustive list, but it's certainly some key facts that you can get thinking about. So knowing your enemy, first of all, this is going to surprise you, but that Satan probably knows the Bible better than you. Did you know that? <laughs> I mean, I find it amazing when you read this passage that Satan accurately quotes passages of Scripture. Now, people say, oh, yes, but he twisted it or it was out of context. Or no, he accurately quotes passages of Scripture. Let's just give him that, all right? <laughs> He actually quotes passages of scripture to induce Jesus to sin. I mean, did you know that the devil read the Bible? I mean, I find that quite shocking. You see, I was told growing up as a young Christian, if you read the Bible, you'll be a better Christian. Well, the devil reads the Bible. Explain that to me. It's not done him a lot of good. (laughs) But... He always, always, always lies. Say that with me. He always, always, always lies. Even when he's quoting scripture. Because, you know, he even uses the Bible against us. The audacity and the cheek of it. I mean, there's loads of examples I could give you, but I'm trying to be quick. But for example, have you ever had be holy as I am holy quoted against you? I mean, you've got to just read 1 John. It's full of frightening passages that cause you to doubt whether you're even a Christian. Or maybe you've not read that book. (laughs) (laughs) You don't come up to the standard. You don't even begin to become a Christian. 
in the way that you live. Look at what you did there. Look at that thought that went on. The Bible's used against you. And you see, he's clever at twisting what is true to make it a lie to us. And then it drives us around in circles of confusion and condemnation. Do you know, so much of pastoral ministry is just about that. Yeah, but the Bible says this. How can I be? Driven around in circles of confusion and condemnation. Don't listen to him. Even when he quotes the Bible, he's a liar. He can't do anything but lie. And also notice the way that Jesus counteracted what he said. He didn't get into a theological discussion with the devil. He didn't even argue with him. He simply just declared the truth. So when scripture is quoted against you, stand on what is true and quote that back. Don't get into an argument. Know the truth and the truth will set you free. Amen. I want to hear an amen. I did. Secondly, (laughs) praise the Lord. Satan is subtle in his approach. I mean, notice his approach to Jesus. He comes in a series of questions, and it follows the same format throughout. Quote scripture, ask an innocuous sounding question that, sat, that contains within it a subtle lie. There's only two bits to the strategy. Quote scripture, ask an innocuous sounding question that contains within it a lie. I mean, if you think about it, Satan can't do anything else. Because you see, Satan isn't all-knowing like God. Did you know that? He doesn't know what you're thinking. He can't read your mind. He can only guess, and in the end, the only way that he can find out what you're thinking is... He asks you a question that he suspects might lead you into a lie because he knows you quite well. But he doesn't know what you're thinking. God does. So he did this with Eve, didn't he? He said, did God really say? And the question opens up for Eve an area of doubt that leads her to fill in the blanks. Oh, Well, actually, when you think about it, well, maybe that isn't what he meant. It's the same for us. The question opens up an area of doubt that leads us to fill in the blanks. So we either end up believing a lie, or we create it ourselves. We put two and two together, and we make five. I wonder what your question is. I wonder what your question is. I wonder what the question is that Satan uses on you. See, experience tells me that there are certain common questions we are asked in moments of stress and temptation. And it depends to some extent on how you're wired, your experiences, your upbringing, all that kind of thing. But for me, you see, I'm often tempted, I'm just going to be very open now, okay, I'm often tempted to ask the question, am I up to the job? Am I good enough? Can I do this? 
Most Sundays before I preach, <laughs> I'm asked that question. I don't know what it is for you, but you know, I'm doubting myself in some way. You know, perhaps the question for you is, does anybody like me? Do I fit in with humankind at all? Am I going to make anything of my life? There's the question. In the moment of stress, that's when it appears. You're asking yourself that question. Our own version of Eve's question that Satan uses against us. And I found that helpful. I found that helpful to know this about myself and strategically important in winning the battle for my own thoughts because I can counter that question with what God says about me. So I've learned about myself and I've learned how to arm myself against that question. I'd encourage you to spend some time just thinking that over. I wonder what my... What is the question I'm always asking when I, when I end up doing that thing? Does anybody love me? You'll be surprised. Okay? Thirdly, what we know about Satan from this passage is that he always undermines identity. He always, always tries to undermine identity. I mean, look at temptation one. The tempter tempter comes to Jesus and he says, If you're the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Oh, well, okay, if I turn those stones into bread, then the devil's going to know that I'm the Son of God. Cool. Why do we do that? If I can prove myself, then... And if you read the temptations, you'll see that two out of three of the temptations Jesus faced were to do with who he was. And every other temptation of Jesus recorded in the Gospels is in the same vein. If you're the Christ, come down from the cross and we'll believe you. And there's no reason to think it will be any different for you and me. Now we've done a lot on identity as a church. But remind yourself, especially in the moment of temptation, arm yourself with truth. This is strategically important in this warfare. Know who you are in Christ. Know yourself and who you are in Christ. Listen, if you're a Christian today and you've not changed in certain areas of your life, right, this does not change the fact of who you are in Christ. Oh, but look at the evidence. No, it doesn't change the fact of who you are in Christ. So make sure you know who you are. See, if Satan can succeed in convincing you for the rest of your life that you're dirty, that you're sinful, that you're inferior, insignificant as a Christian, and you keep accepting it, you're going to have a really hard Christian life. Because actually you're choosing to agree with Satan and not with God and what he says about you. On the other hand, if you can get a handle on what God says about you, especially in that moment of temptation, I don't exaggerate when I say to you that you may be on the verge of the biggest breakthrough in your Christian life. 
That temptation that's been dogging you, that area of sin, when you stand on who you are in Christ and say, I am not that person anymore. You could be on the verge of the biggest breakthrough in your Christian life since salvation. Saved in the moment of temptation. Amen? Are you getting excited? See, Satan's strategy is simple. Halfway through. Satan's strategy is simple. He lies to you to induce you to lie to yourself. I think that's really clever. (laughs) He lies to you to induce you to lie to yourself. And he even quotes scripture to back himself up. But essentially he's trying to undermine you. Recognize and renounce the lies as they happen. Replace the lies with truth. Know the truth incredibly well. That's how you spot a forgery. Yeah? With a banknote. You know what the real thing looks like. Know the truth incredibly well. Know especially the truth about who you are in Christ. It will not only set you free, it will keep you free. And note this, the only effort involved is to believe the truth. Now, how hard is that? The only effort involved is to believe the truth. I'm going to go on for a bit. Is that okay with you? Are you bored? Alison said you might get bored, you see, so I just want to check. If you're bored, please feel free to leave right now. That's a lie, yeah. I, I, pledge your, I ask your forgiveness. Okay, what we've looked at so far, receive the Holy Spirit, be full of the Holy Spirit, people. Right now, just take a drink right now. Take a drink right now. Holy Spirit, will you just fill lots of people right now? Here we go, right now, right now. Fill the church with the Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. Receive the Holy Spirit. Now, secondly, renounce the lies. Even as I've been talking, you've been aware of lies that you've been believing. Just do it right now renounce them. That's not true. Just like Alison said to me just a minute ago, said, that's not true. Just renounce the lie right now. In Jesus' name, I speak freedom and no condemnation. Amen. Right, let's go on to the third point then. Rest. Don't resist. Rest. Don't resist. This is a key strategy. And it's one of the things that comes across really clearly when you look at how Jesus handles temptation. In all that he did, he, he isn't trying to resist temptation. You know, Jesus didn't turn around and say to him, I'm not doing that. No, no, I'm not. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. No, I know I'm hungry, but I am not going to turn that bread. I'm starving, actually. I am not going to do that. Jesus never did it. He didn't resist the temptation, but he did resist or rebuke the one who brought the temptation, Satan. So I could have called this R, resist the devil, but I thought the other one sounded better. 
He didn't resist the temptation, but he did resist the tempter. See, trying to get us focused on the temptation instead of the tempter is a game of deception, diversion, and sleight of hand. Think about it. How many times do you waste time thinking about the temptation when it comes? You're battling with it. You're weighing it up. You're toying with it. You're feeling bad about it. But boy, are you thinking about that temptation. You're trying to resist it. I'm resisting. I'm resisting. I'm resisting. Smoke and mirrors, people. Smoke and mirrors. It's an illusion trying to get you focused on the wrong thing. Can I ask you a question? I'm going to anyway. But can I ask you a question? Thank you, Andrew. Where does it tell us in the Bible that we are to resist temptation? It doesn't. The Bible tells us to resist the devil and he will flee from you, but nowhere are we told to resist temptation. So is this just semantics, Rob? You're just going down semantics now. It's the same thing. No, it's not semantics. It's part of the trap that we are being deceived into focusing on the wrong thing. Remember what I said about James chapter 1, verse 14, you know, the one with the fishing illustration. Well, actually, there's two parts to that verse. Let's just read it again. James 1:14 says this. Each one is tempted when by his own evil desire, that's part one, we know about the evil desire, don't we? But there's a second part, he is dragged away and enticed. I want to suggest to you that there's a process of time that takes place in that second part. Evil desire, dragged away and enticed. It's like you're on the hook, you're being reeled in, but you're kind of, no, I'm wrestling against that. So evil desire is that which makes us susceptible to temptation, but this other part is to do with the resistance. That time of, I haven't quite committed to this. So who's doing the pulling? Who's reeling it in? Watch the sleight of hand. See, as long as you are focused on the temptation and fighting, resisting the pull of the line, you ignore, cleverly, the demonic fisherman that's trying to reel you in. You see, he's crafty. This is how it works. Your focus is on the temptation, which is appealing to your flesh, And this, in turn, causes you to resort to fighting the battle with human effort. Totally in the flesh. Therein lies the trap. You haven't got a chance. And that's because sin resisted grows stronger. Sin resisted grows stronger. Why? Because it says in 1 Corinthians 15, 56, the power of sin is in the law. That's where sin gets its power from, in the law. The very thing you're trying so bravely to do, I will not think that, I will not do that, 
Or I will not lust. I will not lust. I will not lust. I will not lust. It's the law. It's the law. It's the law. I will not. I will not. I will not. Jesus never did that. And the more that we try to resist in our own strength the law, the less we depend on the Spirit, and we find actually what happens is the urge grows even more powerful to sin. Believe me, it really does. <laughs> I'm trying with all my might. Oh, and I really want to do this. Now, at the beginning, it was just a tantalizing prospect, but now I really want to do it. I'm almost committed, but I'm not quite there. Have you found this? You know, if you're struggling with this a bit, let me just give you an illustration. I mean, have you ever tried to break a habit? Have you ever tried to stop thinking a wrong thought? Somebody tells you, don't think that, don't think that, don't think that. You can't help but think it. Or even if it says, wet paint, do not touch. You've got to touch it. You've got to see, haven't you? You've got to make sure. Don't walk on the grass. Oh, just, you know, why? Is it special grass? The power of sin is in the law. Look at your toddler. Say no, and they do whatever they want. It gives them power. And have you discovered then, when you've tried not to entertain a certain image in your mind because you know it's wrong, that the harder you try, the more and more it becomes harder not to do that. And what happens is you become progressively more discouraged and depressed because you just couldn't win. And if that's the case, you'll know the truth of what I said, that sin resisted grows stronger because the power of sin is in the law. See, when we have taken the bait and the hook is in our mouths and we're feeling that dragging, we've got to stop resisting in that moment and rest. Now that sounds counterintuitive, but bear with me. How do we get off that hook? Well, you see, resisting is a completely negative thing to do and it causes us to focus on the temptation and we end up in the flesh. So we need to stop doing that and we need to do something else that's completely positive. Who likes positive? I like positive. Do something completely positive. Firstly, rebuke the devil. (laughs) Oh, I didn't think about that. Rebuke the devil that's reeling you in. Take authority of him over him and say, Satan, I resist you and I command you to leave me and leave my presence now in Jesus' name. It's powerful. He'll flee from you. But you still need to deal with that delicious thought that's still stuck in your head. You need to get off the hook. How do you do that? So secondly, this is the suggestion based on the fact I illustrated that it's easier to replace a bad thought it's, it, um, it's impossible to stop a bad thought. It's easier to replace a bad thought with a good thought. Sorry, did you follow me there? Here's what we do when a bad thought comes. And it will, okay? It will from time to time. Firstly, don't panic. Oh, bad thought, bad thought, bad thought. Don't panic. Don't fight. Deliberately and without effort... Turn your attention onto Jesus. Look at him, fill your mind with him and with the good things of heaven. In that moment, you're being dragged away, you're being dragged away. No, look at Jesus. 
turn to him. Paul says this, he says, brothers, whatever, think on these things, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about it. Rest, think about it. Be too heavenly minded to be any earthly good. You see, the Bible tells us that with every temptation, there is a way of escape. You don't need to stay on the hook and get landed in sin. Jesus is able to save us all the time and break the strongholds of wrong thinking, renewing our minds with with truth. And rest, in this context, is the ability to get you through. In that moment, we just tell Jesus, I imagine myself sometimes, I, I, I can see that thought, that bad thought, but I, it's kind of floating away from me because I'm turning my eyes on Jesus and I'm floating towards him. It's just me. That's how I think of it. I float to Jesus. Let the other thing float away from me. Rest. Do you need to Rest. Receive the Holy Spirit. Renounce the lies. Rest. Not resist. Renewing our minds. Finally, to the last R, which is very brief. And that's this. Repent straight away. And this isn't being negative, but I'm afraid to say that even though you've heard this excellent talk today, it's entirely possible that at some point in the future you will give in to sin and temptation, all right? Just being honest with you, don't want you to get disillusioned or disappointed. When and not if this happens, because that's what the Bible says, when you sin, (laughs) when and not if this happens, you mustn't hesitate, but must turn and run into the arms of your Father God. Remember that wonderful story of the prodigal son. The father is standing there with his arms open, waiting when you've been prodigal, wasteful. Quickly confess your sin. Yeah, I'm not so bad at that, actually. I can confess my sin, but receive forgiveness. Don't just confess it and say, I better do it again just in case. In fact, this is the tenth time I've confessed it just to make sure. No, we need to confess our sin and then we need to receive Forgiveness. 1 John 1 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. He never, never, never condemns us. Say that with me. He never, never, never condemns us. He always, always, always forgives and restores us. He always, always, always forgives and restores us. Did you know there's no failure in heaven? You can't fail in heaven. There are only learning opportunities. Be released, people. No condemnation, no heaviness, no failure, but learn. Learn. That's it. Four strategies for handling 
or overcoming temptation. Very simple, the four R's have made them easy to remember. Receive the Holy Spirit. In that moment, in that moment, receive the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit will put that to death, that evil desire. Secondly, renounce the lies, even if the devil's using the Bible against you. Renounce the lies. Know who you are in Christ. Rest. Don't resist. Rest. Don't resist. Let him carry you through. Let him carry you off the hook that you've got in your mouth. Repent straight away when you fall. It's not that you fall that counts, you know. We all fall. It's the fact that you get up again that's important. Get up again. And if you've fallen this week, I want to just say to you, come on, get up again. Receive forgiveness. Confess your sins and receive forgiveness. And I hope you've seen that this is nothing to do with trying harder. This is nothing to do with exercising more self-control or even reading the Bible more. You've got to know the Bible that you know. There's no point learning other stuff if you haven't learned who you are in Christ. These strategies focus on the Spirit working within us, refusing to believe lies, replacing them with truth, and resting in our authority over Satan. Rebuke him and focus on Jesus, who will get us off the hook in the moment of temptation. Don't let shame keep you out of God's presence. Amen.